Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 182, Put the Milk Away. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Did you realise that the uh, first child to show up as a missing child on the milk cartons in the US still hasn't been found 30 years ago? 30 well, years on? That, that is a depressing story. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thanks for, uh, for building us up with that one. He's right. middle-aged now, of course. Oh, it's just you. Uh, buying milk of his own. Talking about putting the milk away that reminded me of that. So have they, have they kept that picture on the cartons? Well, no, they, they would uh, update them as, as new people. <laughs> is it, is it a up. computer imagery of what that kid looks I, like now? I think, I think people would, would start not to see his picture after 30 years. Right. Like, like Milhouse's picture in The Simpsons. Milhouse uh, appears, uh, have you seen this boy, on, on milk cartons. Which brings us back to television. <laughs> God. Oh, Box Cutters is all about television. And this week, we're going to speak to James Talia about the changes that are going on uh, in the Channel 9 newsroom, but newsrooms around the world in general, and how the, uh, the, the current climate of uh, news journalism is, is being seen from within, from without, and uh, some such, and so on. Yes. No, that was good. That I was, was just good. Yeah, cha- channeling, channeling Miss Carolina there. Uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're also going to review the UK series Ashes to Ashes, which is the sequel to the review that we did of <laughs> Life on Mars some years ago. It is. It is. We've got new characters. <laughs> new char- some new characters. Some old characters. Yes. It's, uh, it, it's, it's good that way. Mm. Uh, mm. We're, uh, we're going to talk about Eurovision. Eurovision was on last Sunday night, and uh, it's controversial as always. Uh, and uh, and John, you're going to bring us back into the world of Eurovision. Oh, there's a, it's more of an overview. There's so much of Eurovision. We probably won't have time to cover all I wanted to cover. But I, I was surprised that Wikipedia let me know there were four controversies this year. Four, <gasps> and we'll be we'll be repacking, repacking, rechecking, and packing. Full of controversy. <laughs> yeah. Full of controversy. We've got. Uh, if you're going to watch one thing, as long as it's not Josh talking about Lost, which it can't be because Lost finished in the US last week. Not forever, though. Not forever, just for this season. Okay. And uh, it's, f- for me, the saddest time of the year. No more lost until February. You can just watch some random old episodes, just in a completely different order, and just pretend that it's a new episode. <laughs> you, you know what I did last year? What I, did you do? I, uh, as, as soon as the uh, season finished, I started from the very beginning of yeah. Lost and, uh, and watched all the episodes from the first four seasons. So did so you make that, it all the way through? Yeah. And uh, and timed it so that I would finish season four oh, and start season five straight away. Yeah. Because with with this season, uh, there have been so many answers that people have been you know bitching about not having. That uh, I think a, re- a, a an immediate review would would do you well. Oh, de- definitely. It's they're, they're, a, it's they're a doing, great way to live your life. They're doing a spin off apparently with a smog monster. Will uh, will do a radio show in Seattle. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. With an annoying kind of toffee brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, oh. also made of smoke, but a different colour. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. So we've got one thing. We've got the quiz as uh, oh, some, some pork, probably. As always, they were going to kick things off with the box cutters news.
Sad news from last week, Brett. Yes, Australian film and TV legend Charles Bud Tingwell has passed away after a two-year battle with prostate cancer. Uh, he was 86, and uh, that happened on the 15th of May. What day was that? Uh, uh, Friday. Friday, Thursday? Friday morning, I think. Okay. Um, I was quite shocked when I woke up and, and heard that. It was. Uh, it, it's, it's very sad news. I was lucky enough to... Uh, interview Bud Tingwell a, a few years ago when he was doing a, a play in Melbourne called The Carer, written by his friend Alan Hopgood, and uh, and speaking to him about his work in television and just it, it was really just like sitting there with the man who had experienced television history firsthand. But also, I mean, everyone loved him. Like he was ah. just you know there was no way you could not love Bud Tingwell. He was just astonishing as a, as a figure. Just I, mean, I never saw him you know as an actor, but he's just had this. Thing. He, just, he, he was because he he was lovable, but he could also play serious. He could also play evil. He he just he had the range, and he understood the craft really well. Mm-hmm. Not very many people know, but he was also a director of of television and directed a, a number of episodes of Homicide uh, and other Crawford productions. That's cool. Yeah, and also just to recap some of the the, the shows he'd been in. I mean, Brett has mentioned, but things like The Sullivans, Cop Shop, Flying Doctors, Prisoner. I had no idea. Cat Weasel. 13 episodes of Cat Weasel as the dad. He was Mr. Bennett in Cat Weasel. I knew he was in The Avengers. You can watch him be killed by a giant robot in The Avengers. I recommend that. Um, Charlie the Wonder Dog, of course, is Gramps. Um, He did voices in Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. Had he had had, uh, a bit of a kind of quiet period before he got picked up by the late show for Charlie the Wonder Dog? That's my memory that that they revived his career, but I don't know if that's true. He was still doing a lot of cinema. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and probably a, and the, a, a the DJ had been doing so much uh, of, of showing the film snippets with the revoicing mm-hmm. with him in those homicide in, in homicide scenes. Yeah, uh, but he also did do a, a lot of work in the UK. Amazing he, film career. I mean, yeah, just everything. He just did so much. One of the things he he told me about the uh, the process that he learnt in England uh, is that when he was in the UK, they would rehearse everything for television and get it right, and then their shooting time was a, a lot smaller. When he came back to Australia and uh, and was working with Crawfords, and they would shoot things and kind of fix them on the go, when he started directing episodes, he actually brought back that process of rehearsing and uh, and would get through shooting an entire episode a lot faster uh, and kind of bringing that sense of... Uh, theatre and performance back to television. A very interesting man. There's also one more fact I wanted to share. A lot of the, the newspapers were saying he started in films in the 1950s. And curiously, I was watching an interview he did with the Bazura Project. Of course, we had them on the show yes. a little while back. They interviewed him uh, a little while ago. And he said his first job in film was actually in Smithy, which is the film about Charles Kingsford Smith, The Aviator, um, filmed in 1945 because he was in the Air Force and he had his own uniform. That's oh. why he got the role. And that and that kicked off a career. It so kicked off his career. Uh, Bud, we're uh, very sad to see you go. Now, in, in slightly more prosaic news, the budget was released last year. Uh, last year. Yeah, every what? year, actually. <laughs> it's oh. weird. It's so repetitive. Um, I'm so sick of it. Every year budget. So, ABC and SBS, they, of course, got some money. How do you think they reacted, as a guess? Uh, I reckon ABC kind of went... Ooh, that's what we expected. And SBS went, no one respects SBS. You, say, mim, 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 mim. you are so spot on about <laughs> SBS. That is exactly what Sean Brown said. Just what you said <laughs> really? there. Really? Oh, that's, no that's, one respects SBS. Mim, 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 yeah, yeah. Mim, mim. And it's hard to spell that last bit, but it's down there. But um, yeah, no, basically, they both got less money than they were expecting. Um, 
ABC's got, uh, I'm trying to find the, the, the full numbers here, because basically there are lots and lots of numbers. Um, the SBS basis is going to have to pull back everything it was doing um, and can't do any of it anymore because it got so much little than it was expecting. Um, ABC has said much the same thing, that it hasn't got what it hoped for, but it's pressing on with a 24-hour news and current affairs channel, even though it doesn't have funding for it. <laughs> and that's what I want to hear from a TV station. That'll, that'll be cheaper than buying content. But it's a whole new channel. So apparently they're, they're going away with it. They've also been given money to make more drama. So, so is that a new digital channel? A new digital channel. Is, is, yeah, 24-hour news channel. ABC4? Um, no kind of number here. ABC News, let's call it. Okay. Um, but it'll be the fourth uh, SD ABC Presumably, because the, the children's digital channel will also be up and running before the end of the year. Um, Stephen Connery has also allocated money for the ABC to make 90 hours of drama programs this year. Similar levels required of the commercial broadcasters. It basically said that while the ABC was doing very well with comedy... They, they said they were being quite... Um, and the ABC itself says they want to make sort of edgier drama because they felt they were being a little bit safe with shows like... And I've got it written here. Uh, the Cut and Dirt Game. Um, oh, they're, being, they're being safe with Dirt Game? Well, no, they're saying more drama. Sorry, that oh, more drama like... While Feel Good Drama, Bed of Roses and East of Everything are due to return, um, which I think that was an example of the, of the safer kind of programming <laughs> they've, been, they've been being made, made <laughs> up until then. You know what I said to that, John? Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I've got millions of numbers. I can't be bothered reading them out because really I can't work out which ones are important. But there are some numbers if you want to look online. Well, and, and while last week's budget provided uh, important funding for ABC and SBS despite their uh, whinging, so, uh, so government and, and regional stations got quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot in the budget for the digital switchover. But community broadcasters were ignored. And according to the Australian Community and Television Alliance, John? Yes. Actor. Oh, no. Nice. Yeah. Actor and actor should take each other on a fight. Oh, who, who would win? Actor. Because Actor act- would just go, that's not right. Don't do that. <laughs> Perhaps. So, according to Actor, only $3 million is required to help the community sector go digital. In an article in ITWire, Laurie Patton, the Alliance Secretary, says that 4 million viewers tune into commercial television every month and that they will be left behind. Sorry, to community television? Yes. Right, yes. Yes. Uh, 4 million viewers. Curiously, though, $2.5 million is allocated over four years to training in community broadcasting, including radio at stations, I assume, like Triple R. I'm not quite sure why the government felt... Yeah, that it wanted to give money to community broadcast training, but not actually to community broadcasting. Which is- that, yeah, that I don't understand. And there is talk that community TV might be provided for on broadband, the mythical fibre to the node giant. Australia's going to have the best broadband in the whole wide world. Suck at Korea broadband plan that, uh, that Conroy and Rudd are working on. But Patton responded to that saying it's simply ridiculous to suggest that community television be shunted onto broadband, which I think is not necessarily the, the right way to look at it. I, I have to say that, you know, if, if communities are going to be accessing information, then surely new technologies other than just the passive technology... Yeah, but it is, it is though, sort of dismissing them. I mean, I've seen a few latest people going, oh, I don't know why community broadcasting thinks you should get a free ride. Yet, oddly enough, the commercial channels were given money to... Well, to- this is... Which I find very odd that, you know, commercially run enterprises were considered but, important enough to be given government money. But community, cha- but community channels were not. Mm. And, and that's, that's the problem that I have with it. Uh, uh, I think that uh, everybody 
who is broadcasting should be treated the same way. And especially if regional channels are, are being given the uh, the budget, then community channels are essentially like a metropolitan regional channel. Uh, so, sure, I you know I understand where they're coming from. Actor had also received confirmation that community television channels would be included in the Freeview Electronic Programming Guide, which, according to Patton, would dramatically increase the exposure of community channels leading to a wider audience, and they've called for an urgent meeting with Communications Minister Stephen Conroy. Conroy! Yeah. What do you got, Brett? Uh, Channel 9's hoped for uh, ratings hit, the latest from uh, Crescent Barber, Homemade. Uh, hasn't actually been such a hit with the viewers. Can we just, uh, f- for listeners who are unaware, Crescent Barber are the team that came up with... Gillian Crescent, David Barber, who did The Block, uh, with the block of four flats in uh, Bondi from I think memory. it was Bondi. Can I also point out at home that MADE is in capital letters? It's, it's HOMEMADE! For some reason, I'm not sure why. Yeah. That, um, that's probably what the program is called. HOMEMADE! Because oh, uh, it stands for Mundane and Desperate Entertainment. Oh, okay. Get it now. Well, uh, of course, uh, during the Logies, Channel 9 were spruiking the hell out of this show for uh, the beginning the week after and uh, flopped. It uh, premiered on 1.021 million people on its uh, Sunday night outing and uh, just under 890,000 uh, on the Tuesday night episode. Uh, which I think is the elimination episode. I haven't actually had a look at it, but I'm just uh, reading figures. Um, after uh, that uh, didn't really take off for them, some apparently desperate re-editing began in the uh, Channel 9 bunker with 12 editing suites going at once. According to <laughs> one source. How does that work? <laughs> I, I love the idea of editors sitting in uh, <laughs> sitting in a room going, Okay, now we've got all this boring material, and we tried to make it entertaining, and and we failed. Let's try more, but more also just entertaining. Twelve at once, like all doing the same episode or different episodes. You're somewhere in black and white, some are you know, some are noir. It's just like- well, that's 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 what they were because they weren't sure they weren't sure what would be entertaining. So they had someone doing it like a Fellini film. <laughs> S- someone doing it like like an episode of A Current Affair. Wouldn't it be great if it's the same episode, just played week after week after week in newly re-edited versions to see which one you like? Uh, after uh, all of that hard work last night, uh, Sunday night, it's uh, only rated one point uh, one million two thousand viewers. Um, and uh, given that, it looks like it might be uh, kicked into a late night slot somewhere and just uh, left to die for the remainder of its 12 weeks. Uh, the Block, which was uh, Chris and Barber's first uh, stunning performance, averaged 2.339 million viewers. Got its own board game as well. Um, really? It did. Really? Yeah, weird game. enough, there's a board oh. game of The Block. Um, some are saying that uh, perhaps because of the Geelong Football Club, that's the GFC, uh, <laughs> viewers aren't actually interested in watching people spending money on uh, home renovations. Uh John, earlier you uh, you mentioned the Sean Brown service, um, I did. and uh, and saying, "Oh, we don't have enough money to do anything, anything, and, anything at all," and so we're pulling back everything that we were going to do ever. Yes. Last week, they also uh, had had a, a media release announcing that SBS two will be launching on June the first. Yeah, but Sean did say. 
SBS will try hard to preserve its core services and has already committed to launching its digital service, its SBS2, but other planned services across television, radio and online will have to be significantly scaled back. So we're saying, yeah, we did commit to it, but we're not happy about it now. Well, if you were a special broadcasting service and you now had another channel <laughs> to broadcast on, what, what would you put on that channel? Well, I'd be putting things like you know, foreign language, film and drama, but am I guessing it's actually just repeats of Top Gear in South Park? It's, uh, it's, it's foreign, uh, well, no, not necessarily foreign language, world film and drama, documentaries, international news and sport. It's sounding a lot like SBS isn't, 1. Isn't that just SBS? <laughs> yeah. At the moment, including Tour de France 2009, Every Stage Live, and it will also screen your favourite shows from SBS 1 at different times, giving you even more choice. I'm yeah. sure they were showing all of the... The Tour de France live. Already. The last time on SBS yeah. 1. Yeah. Now for all that. yeah, but now they'll also be showing it on SBS 2 or only showing it on SBS 2. Or Is, I, I is that like a final, uh, finally we get a use for the angle button on the DVD <laughs> remote? I wonder if this is a bit like, I think in England Channel 4 was always you know, the edgy station. It became kind of mainstream and then when it went you know, multi-channel, like E4 became the edgy station. And in fact, it was kind of doing what Channel 4 used to do 10, 20 years ago. Right. Will SBS 2 just be what SBS was? When it started. Well, no, because uh, they also say that by tuning into SBS2, all of it's in capital letters, by the, by the way. Oh, angry. I know. <laughs> You'll see a better, clearer picture, often in widescreen format. And if you remember SBS <laughs> from... Often. Uh, often in widescreen format. If you remember SBS from the early days, no one could actually uh, receive it because it was on the UHF band. And so it's not like SBS in the old days. Right. They and will actually be able to see it. Maybe, maybe it'll be harder, though. I mean, a certain bit of digital you can't pick up. I'm talking about things you can't pick up. Now, Brett's got a list of, of things that have been commissioned and are coming back. I'd like to start off with things that aren't. Um, oh. One of which is Sit Down, Shut Up. I know that'll surprise you. The, um, the animated Sit Down, Shut Up from Fox Network. Fox only ordered five episodes of this. They, re- they replaced episode five with a repeat of King of the Hill. That's kind of the equivalent to oh. taking the show out the back and sitting on fire. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just them going, nope, not that, thank you. Know, we, did we've did talked you keep about up with it, Josh? I, I did, and I still like it. Really? Yeah. I think it's going to be, uh, uh, you, you know, one of those short-lived, very clever shows. Like well, Faulty Towers. Well, five episodes. That, that is it. Yeah. It's, it's over, know. Josh. You got the five. You're calling it Faulty Towers. No, no, no. We didn't even get the fifth. Well, but the fifth will presumably turn up, you know, on the street begging for money. Absolutely fabulous, the American remake. Fox isn't going ahead with that. Mm-hmm. Well, Cyber relief everywhere. An- another version of Absolutely another, Fabulous. That no one's going ahead with. Yep. Um, NBC's not picking up David E. Kelly's new legal drama, Legally Mad. So if you were held, really holding out for another David E. Kelly legal drama, you'll just have to go back and, and watch an old one. Y- you know, I wasn't, but I think Michelle Pfeiffer was. Oh, damn her. She'll be upset. Um, curiously, though, on things that are coming back, Somewhat bizarrely, Brett, what is Fox committing to Series 2 of? Uh, series 2? Ah, oh, oh, Fox's uh, Dollhouse. Dollhouse has been renewed. Thank you. Who could have seen that coming? After uh, after some commentators had written it off and said that it was a goner for sure, uh, Fox have turned around and uh, said that it will be coming back for a second series. Um, I did read something about the uh, the geeky dude in the in the the centre bit where they they do the mind wipe thing the big hotel might be a less a little less uh, prominent in some of the storylines for the second series uh, I read apparently part of the dollhouse thing is that the the DVR numbers are huge forty percent increase on on the live to air numbers once DVR is well, factored in the, the last episode of 
dollhouse for for this season was a, an absolute corker. Well, also season so episode I'm choosing this episode thirteen or is this episode, episode twelve? Okay, episode thirteen, which is the one that that will be on the DVD. That um, because Fox basically said, look, we've paid you for thirteen. It's just the, the first one is the pilot that we completely remade. So mm-hmm. just give us twelve. Joss Whedon still made a 13th episode that he wanted, apparently made on such a shoestring budget. That's the other reason that Fox is committed to it, going, wow, you can make that really cheap. So apparently that is the other thing. I think the budget's going to be cut back a bit for Series 2. And uh, Dollhouse starts on Fox 8 in the coming weeks, if you've got the Foxtel. Uh, um, Also... Were you going to go with the other thing? There? Oh, no, no, please so, tell, tell me other things that are being renewed, please. please. Uh, probably most uh, amazingly, Scrubs has been uh, renewed for a ninth season. Uh, Zach Braff has been saying that I'm not coming back, I'm not coming back, I'm not coming back. I'm in Israel, I'm not coming back. Uh, he will be coming back for six episodes only of oh. the ninth season of Scrubs. So he's doing a Mulder. Yeah, doing but apparently the idea is to, to introduce the others. I think uh, it sounds like he'll just well, I think be in the first used six. The eighth season to introduce uh, the new interns. Yeah, so the new interns are now sticking around. Pass it so off it's, a little bit. It's that, a bit general that is hospital. the show that will not die. Um, other shows that aren't dying. Fringe, that's back for another year. Lie to me or explain to me, as my, my, my brother <laughs> likes to call it. Don't do lie. <laughs> Um, they're both back. I was a bit surprised. Bones has been given a two-year, two two-season commitment. I think they're hoping that by the end of that, David Boreanaz will be able to act. It's it is very cheap to make though because it is you know essentially one set and and one facial expression. So yes. yeah, you so, spread so that over. But given that they uh, they jumped the shark with the uh, one of the scientists being this serial killer's uh, apprentice, and then had a had an episode in London with old school minis as rental cars <laughs> where if you drive up over the curb then you'll have a blowout in your tyre. Uh, it's very, very interesting that uh, they've continued on with it. Although I guess that Happy Days did continue for a number of years after and, it jumped the show. But it's clearly a, yeah. a, American Bones viewers, not as picky as you, Brett. Well, they're idiots then. <laughs> Uh, John, you mentioned Fringe. Something I'd like to point out is it, it was great to see in Eurovision, which we will talk about later on in the show, that the giant letters from Fringe... They were! They oh, did go attacking and attack Moscow. Moscow. It was, that was quite amazing. Look out, it's an owl! Oh, that was incredible. So talk about Fringe, I thought you were going to mention evil Judith Durham, who was singing, I think, for Estonia. She was obviously the parallel universe Judith Durham, Judith Durham, lead singer of the Seekers. Um, and halfway through the show, after her, her number, she did destroy a planet and then fiddle. While it burned, it was that was quite. Now also, uh, the ABC in the US uh, has given second season renewals to Castle, which uh, began on local TV on Sunday nights, and Better Off Ted, which we'll be talking about soon. Which and I'd heard that Better Off Ted was gone. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what's. But you've got confirmed sources saying that Better Off Ted renewed. Was saying. Ted could have gone either way. Right. We, we also point. heard today Chuck has been renewed yes. after this endless on again. I was just saying before the show, all I know about Chuck is that every week we talk about whether or not it's being renewed. That is my entire knowledge of that program. So now renewed. Well, well I, John, uh, how many weeks do we need to talk about this before you actually have a look at it? You know, well, you, you know, you, you can buy Chuck on the uh, on the on the you do buy at US store. Can I? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. It just seemed like such a precarious program. I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch it. Um, <laughs> 
Also, uh, interesting thing, uh, a bit of a tradition now hitting um, UK television. The Warner Brothers has bought up the rights to make a film version of Primeval, a, I think, largely bad US oh, show. UK, um, UK show. UK show, sorry. You, uh, yeah, quite bad UK show that one might assume was just a rip-off of Jurassic Park. So was that was that kind of walking with dinosaurs type uh, CGI? No, no, no. It was stuff? worse. It was it was like Babylon Five first series well, CGI. I, I think from what I've seen, the premise is that they they uh, some some wacky current day scientists learn learn how to open wormholes that therefore make you know prehistoric animals come out and attack you in a- CGI attack, form. Attack uh-huh. your attack your young child in his bedroom. Yes. So it's it's basically you know dinosaur of the week kind of program it was on channel 9 for a while Warner Brothers has picked it up they're making a film version of it a high six figure deal according to Variety Uh, the producer of the film is going to be Akiva Goldsman um, who wrote A Beautiful Mind Angels and Demons and Batman and Robin Um, sub 10 million dollars it's it's just kind of curious that they're saying it seems to be like just making Jurassic Park 4 but cheaper but it's a tradition that seems to be happening state of play Uh, we remember James Talia mentioned a UK uh, drama it just came out in the US and is coming out in Australia on May 28th, which is a um, big budget remake of the TV series. John, uh, yes, I'm not sure at this point that we do remember James Taylor. No, James, no, James Taylor. He raved ages about ago, it. He, spoke he went about on it. and on and on about it. Yeah, no. So when he comes in, we're going to ask him if he's seen the film. Yeah, do that. I will do that. Um, it's got Good. yeah, all star cast and also Edge of Darkness, which I meant to mention in that segment we did about where the shows stood up when you watch them uh, later. Because I watched Edge of Darkness game recently and it didn't. I thought it was kind of boring. That's being remade. That was a huge 1985 uh, BBC drama series, and um, Mel Gibson is remaking it again. So it seems but, to be that in the UK now, but, if you but entirely in Cyrillic, yeah, 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 and he plays all the roles. Um, so it seems to be this big thing now. UK television has become the source for American Hollywood movies. Well, Strange thing for it to do because they've completely exhausted their own television. <laughs> yeah, now that must be it. Uh, and uh, and lastly, in the news, Kung Fu Panda, the smash hit for DreamWorks Animation, is being made into a twenty-six episode television series. Is Jack Black going to be in the title role? Kung Fu Panda, the smash hit for DreamWorks, <laughs> is being made into a 26-episode television series. Something I don't know. It's, more no, a, it's no a sentence, idea. isn't it, really? It, it's really just a sentence, and that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, this is Lawrence Mooney. I've been on the telly, and if you're into televisual delights, then there's only one show you need to be listening to, and that's Box Cutters. Get your ears into it. We're joined by Channel 9 news journalist and our news journalist correspondent, James Talia. I get a different title every time I talk to you guys. Because you're a different man every time we talk yeah. to well, you. Well, you know, I'm the news chameleon or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the news chameleon. Joining us now, the news chameleon. Uh, I, James like, Talia. I like how that makes me sound. Yeah, that's because it's entirely untrue, but never mind. There's been. A, a, I get into my chameleon suit in a phone booth as well. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of blowing your secret identity there. Yeah, I know. But, but, but then at the end of it. All the people can see is the inside of a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> and some news. Inevitably, yes. I love that. Well, I've, uh, you know, I've just got to, until I ditch these glasses, I'm having trouble ditching the Clark Kent thing. <laughs> so <I'm>, you know. <laughs> I love that we never see Superman put in his contacts. Talk about that. I know, so like, hey, you know what we should talk about? <laughs> not probably not chameleons and Superman. Probably not no. chameleons and Superman. Tell me, Josh. Channel Nine recently uh, announced that they were going news, 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 and more news. 
they've got a, a one-hour bulletin at 11 o'clock. They're uh, coming back with Nightline, but not calling it Nightline, uh, and uh, and all sorts of other bits of news throughout the day. What does that, particularly a, a one-hour 11 a.m. bulletin, what does that mean for a, a television news journalist? Well, it means that we actually get on air more, which is great. Well, I think if for the for the news department, all of these changes are, are really, really good. Um, it's been portrayed as a, a, a show of faith in what the newsrooms around the country do, and I think that can only be a good thing. C- cynics would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Now. <laughs> yeah, go on. Go on. Cynics would say, and I'm one of those cynics. Imagine my surprise. I know. Uh, that, you know, obviously... News is cheaper to produce than a lot of of other content, especially because it can be repeated throughout the day. But that would also mean that the news journalist has to file a story by 10.30 in the morning as opposed to filing a story by, say, 4.30 in the afternoon. How much news can you actually get done between waking up and... Uh, and filing at at ten thirty, and then how can a, a news journalist be expected to uh, then continue what the BBC call news gathering uh, later on in the day? Well, what everyone in the world calls news gathering, I, I know, but I, I think the I BBC, you guys are just being a bit picky about that. I think, last I, think, week. I think the BBC uh, use it disparagingly because they they're calling their journalists news gatherers. Rather no, than I actually them I have to, I heard you talking about that last week, and I entirely disagree. Because not all news gatherers are reporters. Mm. Which I tried to explain. Which well, Brett s- did try to explain. S- except them- I would go further than what you did, Brett, because I think you, you talked about producers um, and researchers. researchers yep. Camera people are news gatherers. So, so, all right, let's move on to the BBC. So the BBC are getting rid of jobs in all of those areas. Mm-hmm. When, so when they say news gatherers, they're, they're lumping all of them together. They're not just... I, I should think so, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we think then that might mean that like researchers are going rather than journalists. Well, potentially. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the, the split, the breakdown mm-hmm. of what the Beeb's doing, but um, I don't think it would be restricted just to, say, on-air reporters. Okay, let's go back to the you having to wake up early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wake up any earlier in the morning than I than I did three weeks ago, and uh, he's saying you've always been the hardest working man in news gathering. <laughs> well, well, that, that we've known. <laughs> That's right. I'm about to uh, fall to my knees, and I want one of you to drape a cape around me. <laughs> <laughs> my God, it's the news chameleon. Um, if I could look sideways from from the questions, because also we've got written here. I mean, Channel Ten are announcing a 90 minute bulletin replacing repeats of The Simpsons. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. Um, ABC is is looking at 24 hour channel. Is it not just the news is cheap? I mean, is it not just this is going to be a very cheap way of filling airtime in a in a in a you know economic. Well, troubled time. But traditionally, TV news has always been seen as as enormously expensive. Enormously expensive. It's um, <laughs> it's it's very it's always been a very common thing in TV stations since time immemorial. Well, or since television was invented two hundred and fifty years ago. Josh, thank you. Um, th- that salespeople salespeople are always bitching about how news costs so much money. We bring in the money and they just go and spend it all. You know. But the totally question- ignoring the fact that um, you know we have ad breaks in the news and people buy spots. <laughs> yeah. But my question though is: is is a ninety minute news bulletin 
actually three times as expensive as a 30-minute bulletin, or is it actually just the same price? I mean, once you've got the news gathering and the news infrastructure there, is it just cheap to keep, I, keep going? I don't know that it's... it's uh, it, it wouldn't be the same price as as a 60-minute bulletin to go 90 minutes. It would cost more, but I, th- I think you're right that a 90-minute bulletin isn't going to cost three times as much as a 30-minute bulletin, no. But then if you look at 10... Um, their their ratings, you know, they do okay, and and you can't rule out that they're actually ready, maybe to take on nine and seven at six pm and roll the dice and see what happens. Well, it'll be the first time. That's, in, that's probably in, as good a reason as any. First time in as long as I can remember that uh, ten actually have some news uh, in prime time. It was probably the mid eighties, yeah, wasn't it? I yeah, think because eyewitness news is, used to run from six or seven. I think is that. Is that how you remember it? Oh, God. I was like in grade six. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I, me well, when, too. We're, when, we're in, in Melbourne terms, we'd be going back to the days when it was, uh, I guess, David Johnston and, and Joe, Joe Pearson, Pearson and, Joe and Pearson. Rob Gell doing, doing weather, weather until the late, great John Sorrell went and poached Joe Pearson and Rob Gell. <laughs> the, uh, there was also uh, in Melbourne at that time, uh, Channel 9 and Channel 7 both had 6.30 bulletins. So a six to seven bulletin for for Channel Ten, they could still claim to be first with the news, and then uh, I think being uh, a, a little bit uh, threatened by their presence, mm. seven and nine moved to six, and uh, and ten moved to five. That's I can't the new remember. Maths. I can't remember how all that played. I don't remember when we shifted from six thirty to six. May have been earlier than that. For our listeners in WA, I'd like to point out, I was in Perth. We had a big fuzzy square where Channel 10 was. So, ah, yeah. Mm. And not widescreen back then. No. Ah, oh, really? Just <laughs> four so by three? Four by three fuzzy square? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know what you people are talking about. Right. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> and probably, no, I'm not going to say that. So, so the costs wouldn't be as great uh, to, to extend the bulletins, but from a. A journalist's point of view, from a news gatherer's point of view, uh, from a production point of view, mm-hmm. you file a story for the eleven o'clock bulletin. Yep. Uh, then, would you continue on with that story throughout the day, kind of refining it and uh, and improving it and, and speaking to more people, or would you then just move on to another story? And if they want to use your eleven o'clock story in the six o'clock bulletin, they can. Well, they would never do that. Okay. Um, six o'clock is generally all original content. Mm-hmm. It's content that's made just for six. Um, and uh, that's usually the case. There's not much repetition that goes on so that you won't see much from the 11 o'clock bulletin in the 4.30 bulletin and you won't see anything from either of those bulletins in the 6 p.m. bulletin. Um, in answer to your first question, generally, once you're on a story, you'll stick with it for the day. Although today is a good example where I did a cross for the 11 o'clock bulletin from the Bushfire Royal Commission and then moved on to something else for six. So it can be done either way. Okay. But the, the, the thing is, you're never going to do two stories in one bulletin. Yep. And we've always had an, a, a, an 11 o'clock bulletin, a morning bulletin. And for many years now, we've had a 4.30 bulletin as well. And for a long time, we had Nightline. And Today Show's always been there. So I can only do one story. Just because 11 o'clock is now an hour instead of a half hour doesn't mean that I'm doing three stories instead of one. So for me, my workload hasn't increased. Is it likely these shows will do a bit of a CNN thing and kind of repeat the stories 
in the second half, or do you think it's going to be new content? No, at, at this stage, it's all new content. Um, I'd, I'd be guessing though, that's what Channel Ten would be working towards. That they I was about have, to say the same thing. Yeah, they would have everything in the first hour, and then kind of a highlights package in the in the last half hour. And from what I'm hearing on the grapevine, and I might be talking out of school here, but I, it's, I think it's already been written in the papers that that the ten newsrooms around the country have piloted this ninety minute version and uh the word that seems to be leaking out from that is that they would start their sport after six o'clock earlier than we do ah right i guess they see sport as one of their strengths and uh obviously sport is popular they could perhaps get away with starting sport at 10 past six without copping the flack for ignoring the day's news because Because they've already run an hour of it right but presumably also the news might then come on again after the sport, so it might be... Well, it could yeah, do. You could do it either way, yeah. How, so I think that would be that would be interesting. How much are the... Uh, are the I, I have no idea. Sorry, I have to... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, David Knox, just, I have no idea if that's correct. It's just... Know. It's just... <laughs> it's just speculation. Just please don't get you my David name Knox in the Oz again. Been, he's just been sitting there writing everything you said down. And he's very disappointed now because he does it a longhand. He does it a longhand while listening to podcasts. <laughs> I don't need to be in the Oz again, all right? No, but... Uh, We're just talking. We, 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 we speculate. If, if we... As box cutters were to run a 90-minute news bulletin, that would be a great way to do it because you do get the people who want the sport earlier. They get uh, their fill of news in that 10 minutes if they start watching the news at, at 6 o'clock mm. and then get 15 minutes of sport instead of 10 minutes of sport. Maybe. Everyone's happy. Uh, the, uh, but with, with the BBC cutting all of these news-gathering jobs and... Uh, with see how quickly I've just gone on to that. Yeah, that was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've really just He's the sultan of gleaners, you are. gleaners of news is the phrase he normally uses around news pickers. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with, with the BBC cutting all of those jobs and the BBC being such a major producer of news stories worldwide, mm. especially with their BBC World News Service. Yeah. Do you have again speaking in the box cutters speculative sense if we were to run an international cable news service in addition to our regular 90 minute bulletin uh how how would we fill those hours with with so many fewer news gatherers but are the cuts coming just from bbc world no the cuts are coming from bbc as a whole yeah and how many 90 did we say i think it was 90 yeah that's a drop in the ocean oh really for the beeb it's, yeah, it's it's not a lot. It's unfortunate. I, I never, none of us ever wants to see news gatherers anywhere losing their jobs. But um, I mean, we're talking thousands of people, thousands of people. I mean, think about it. Um, you've got the uh, the flagship bulletins on BBC One. Um, you've got BBC News Twenty Four. You've got BBC World. Seven radio networks online. It's massive. The BBC also, I, well, I know they have a royal correspondent, so presumably they have like specialist news gatherers. Do we do the same thing in Australia? Do we have people that, that only report one particular type of news? I yeah. Mean, beyond yeah. just sort of sport, but I'm thinking more... Yeah, we do. Yeah. Not, not quite to the same extent. They, but, but we have state political reporters. And police reporters, mm-hmm. court reporters. Yeah. So presumably, I mean, the BBC might be... You know, we used to do it a lot too. more. Right. We used to do it a lot more. I know uh, my current boss, when he was on the road, was um, for a time industrial relations reporter 
and then aviation reporter. Now, th- that's a lot more like a newspaper model, but there were a lot more people in the newsroom in those days as well. Well, yeah, no, the, the newspaper model now would be, you know, getting something from uh, from Reuters and, and putting a pretend byline And publishing on it. it online. Yes. Scrib- yeah. Scribbling up the Guardian. Can I ask you a question about the rolling news? We were kind of mm. mentioning things like CNN, and I don't know if you can even answer this, but I'm just curious as a model. You were saying how the 6pm news bulletin on a, on a standard kind of uh, station would be new, would be a new thing. Yep. CNN, I think, is it a 15-minute or a half-hour rolling kind of... So the same story will show up you know, uh, in, in the headlines. It, it varies depending on the time of day. But, but sort of roughly has this... So at I, what I point suppose do they... Well, you probably get headlines every, every quarter of an hour. Yeah. You, so, wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have the same bulletin rolling on yeah. every 15 but, but minutes. You, there's a, there's a two-hour period each night on Sky uh, in the UK mm-hmm. where they do do that. I think it's between seven and nine... Or maybe eight and ten from memory. Uh, well, it's just the same. The same. It's the same thought. every fifteen minutes, literally. You know, all the news in fifteen minutes. Every fifteen minutes, <laughs> it's known internally at Sky. It's it, well, its official name is the Wheel of News, but it's known colloquially as the Wheel of Death. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I was wondering. At what point do you, I mean? How long could a story run for on a on a rolling news channel before it gets completely revamped? I mean, is it is it possible a story can just run? Yeah, hour after hour, or or is it only it only plays like three times before someone has to go and yeah you know, make a new one? Well, I guess that I guess it depends if the story changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if it's a story that's constantly moving, I don't know, um, maybe a siege situation as a, just an example off the top of my head. Then yeah, you'll probably keep adding to it every now and then. Um, otherwise, uh, a good colour piece, say a show business piece, mm-hmm. you know, you could run that. Every hour for twelve hours, unchanged. Oh, really? You could, if you wanted to. Yeah. What What rolling news really, really? uh, um, I guess the assumption behind rolling news is that people just dip in and out of it, the way you might listening to breakfast radio. So, you're you're only hearing it when you're in the car on the way to work or or whatever. So, um, it keeps rolling in that way, assuming that people are just switching on looking at the headlines, looking at it for 15 minutes, half an hour, and then switching off. And they can do that at any time of day. And then, of course, if you look at a, a CNN or an Al Jazz, um, Fox, you've got different time zones around the world as well. Mm-hmm. So that then the focus changes. But if it's, you know, it, it's always breakfast somewhere. Yeah. And they, they work on that assumption as well. well one of the, the ways I like to... Uh, watch news on sky especially is to use the sky news active because mm. it is that it is that same rolling news format except i get to choose which stories yes. i'm watching at any particular time so mm-hmm. i i choose my priorities uh or you can just watch headlines or 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 i can just watch headlines and scroll through that's what's going on today I, now i know I can't like, is it is it bloomberg what's the one that's just way too much information oh, in one go but bloomberg, we love which, bloomberg. Uh, yes but J- james and i have uh, have talked <laughs> we have many, many about times about oh, how it's caused it. our insomnia oh i <laughs> love it it's like, it's like bloomberg. in fact i think yeah. after the last federal election we were talking about how good it would be if if election coverage was done like that just with yes. with a, a ticker along the bottom and more stuff up up the side and just people in a tiny box yeah, yeah that's right that's great that's right but um, can I, so going back to the, the very beginning of this can i sort of ask you then do you think the this new embrace of new by the, the channels is mm-hmm. caused through economic need, or do you think it's it's the news now? You know, it, it's seen as more important and, and rates well. I mean, which which is the one kind of driving this this extension of news services on all the channels? Um, 
I, it's hard for me to tell. Um, I'd, I'd kind of be interested to have the opportunity to ask ask a manager that. Um, I, I think um, look, it's probably a little bit cheaper than buying or making programming. Um, but it's also, I mean, I think in our case, it's, we really want to demonstrate our commitment to news, you know, and, and now, and we still, once you throw in 9MSN, we still make that claim that more Australians get their news from 9 than from any other source, right? And and I suppose it is also a challenge coming from the rolling news services. They do what they do. Um, there's a bit of a recognition that people do want the news when they want it. So, and I guess that's that's a challenge that comes from online news as well. Um, and if we have the opportunity to provide more news throughout the day, even if you know people may only sit and watch a half hour of an hour bulletin, but at least they then have the option. And speaking of opportunity, though, I, I think one of the opportunities that come out of the uh, the new regime of digital television with the option for the second network is that uh, you know it, it would be great if there was a future where there was uh, a Channel 9 that had news every three hours uh, and a Channel 9 that had uh, drama, lifestyle, sports programming on constantly so viewers could make that... Uh, make that choice could you take that suggestion and say that i i gave it and uh, and give it to your bosses yeah sure thanks um but there's also the option to have perhaps um a different type of news on a on a second digital channel and when i say that thinking of uh more for news in the uk um what, more, what do they do more for is is one of channel four's digital channels mm-hmm. um and they have a... I mean, Channel 4's news runs from 7 to 8 p.m. Fantastic news service. Um, and then More 4 news runs on More 4 from 8 till 8.30. And it's pro- it probably skews younger um, in line with the kind of content they run on More 4, which includes, from my memory of the schedule, just to give you an example of the, the kind of audience they're doing, I think they'll have More 4 news on at 8 o'clock and then The Daily Show at 8.30, right? And that's that. That is one of the things that I think young people have often had a, a problem with the news because it reports old people's issues. Mm. Uh, it it's not the things that are important to to young people. And with the the last election in Australia, we, we saw finally we had uh, a, a a political party that was willing to look at the issues that that young people find interesting, particularly the internet and the promise of fibre to the node and all those other things that'll probably never happen. But, uh, but you know, those those were the things that uh, that interested the younger viewers more mm. and they weren't being reported as much. So, yes, there is there, there definitely is that opportunity. I, I see that it's uh, an exciting time for, uh, for news. And mm. I, I'm, I've actually come around. Because I started this, I started this interview quite cynically. You did. You did. And well, I know you were only concerned about my workload. That was I, your. I know I, that was I, your I chief really, concern. It really was. You're, you know, you're like I, the cynical best friend of the late night infomercial, aren't you? Yeah, you yeah. You've come around the end to going. <laughs> to I going, didn't think I needed that Channel Nine News, James Talia, but you were right all along. <laughs> I do. And, but wait, there's more. <laughs> James Talia, thank you so much for joining us again on Box Cutters. It's my pleasure, as always. Um, bef- before I go, I didn't mean to. to 
uh, tell you this. Um, you mentioned to me uh, something about David Simon appearing before a yes, yes, Senate, uh, a Senate committee, inc- committee in the- talking about the future of uh, journalism. Yes. Um, and I, now, I can now report that I have completed The Wire, all five seasons. Ah, yes. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen season five of The Wire, <laughs> don't listen for the next ten seconds. Um, some, of these, uh, some of these issues are very much addressed in season five of The Wire, in, in part through the experience of the Baltimore Sun. I won't say any more yes. than that, but it's very, very interesting. But yes, the the things that David because David Simon was a journalist. You can you can listen now, Brett. Yeah, <laughs> da- thanks, Brett. Sorry, <laughs> David Simon was a journalist with the with the Baltimore the Sun. The Baltimore Sun, yeah. And uh, and he has a, a lot of opinions. He clearly has some very strong views. And, yes, uh, and they're they're well thought out views. Mm. Uh, so definitely worth getting into. There, uh, last week's episode of on the media, the NPR uh, show, which you can get on podcast. Uh, did a little story about it, but I'm also going to throw up a link on the blog uh, where you can watch all two hours and 50 minutes of the C-SPAN coverage of the Senate committee. It's like Eurovision for news. Yeah. Um, while we're on the addendum, can I just also quickly ask, uh, mm. one of the, the many appearances you've made on the show, you mentioned how much you like State of Play, the, uh, yes. the UK. And I mentioned in the news that there's a, a film, American film version has just come out. Yes. Have you seen it? Have you? I am seeing it this week, right. yes. Um, and... Uh, I'm told, well, I hear from, in fact, it was a a UK review from uh, Radio 5 Live, um, which I downloaded a couple of weeks ago. It's already been released in the UK. It's not as good, but then they're trying to cram six very good hours into two hours. Better Um, or worse than Transformers? (laughs) (laughs) Worse? I mean, nothing's as good as Transformers. (laughs) I'll be be very curious to see it, but also... Curiously, the American Solo Play does have killer robots in it. Well, you know, I've been to the Capitol building, and that's pretty accurate. Um, also, there's a film which is some, which at the moment is not slated for release here called In the Loop, oh. which is the film version of The Thick of It. Right. Yes. A, a US film version of The Thick of It, a UK film no, version? No, it's made by the same people, but they go to the US. Oh. They go to the US because um, they are... Um, talking to the Americans about potentially invading a country and how they might go about uh, making the case for that and whether or not they have enough correct intelligence and there'll be a dossier of intelligence and how much should they release. And so it's a complete work of fiction then. Completely, yeah. Um, oh, and, well, and most of the characters are new, but the awesome Malcolm Tucker is is still running the spinning excellent. operation. There are a couple of uh, clips on YouTube which are... Outstandingly good, and just vintage Malcolm Tucker rants. As soon as it's available on DVD, you'll be able to buy it in the You Do Buy It UK store. <laughs> oh, there's always a tie-in, James. <laughs> thanks so much. Just, thank uh, you. To, to answer the question from before, uh, 1985 Channel Nine uh, went to a six o'clock bulletin and actually piloted a one-hour one hour, uh, bulletin. Is that right? Yeah, nice. Um, no further details. Thank about God. What now we can all get some sleep. Exactly. Thanks, guys. Hi, I'm really lucky to be the guest of these funny, gorgeous, sexy, hunky men. This is Jane Badler. You're listening to Box Cutters. Jane Badler does not appear in Ashes to Ashes, but she could. She could. I, I think she would fit quite nicely. I think she would. Into, into Ashes and Ashes. And this is the bit where we would normally tell you what Ashes to Ashes is about, but quite conveniently, the lead character actually does it over the opening credits. So I was hoping we could just play Alex Drake to tell you what her show's about. 
My name is Alex Drake. I've been shot and that bullet's taken me back in time. Now I'm lost in 1982. And all I can do is fight and search and stay alive. Because somehow, I will find a way home. Now, what, what I like about that is that she's, she's not only told us the premise, she's also told us the end of the series. Well, I'm just saying, we should also point out that um, sh- uh, shooting people is not a way to send them back in time. <laughs> Do not try that at home. No, it's, it was a magic bullet <laughs> yes. of some sort. Now, this is the sequel to Life on Mars, uh, where well, Sam, we, Sam we Tyler... We should also point out, this is series two we're actually yes. we're talking mm. about. Um, yeah, series one has, has already aired, so we will be reviewing... Series two, and we and, and we did look at uh, series one, and uh, I found it. Uh, you know, I judged it harshly. Now, like I said that was that was before I joined you because I, I missed it. I seem to be the only person in the world who actually liked series one of Ashes to Ashes. I thought it was really fun. Like, I, I didn't mind it, well, uh, and I watched uh, three or four reps. Okay, but you know, but, but I, I, I I really enjoyed because I mean, Life on Mars is, a, is an amazing show. You know, and, and just to recap, of course, Life on Mars uh, about um, Sam Tyler, Sam Tyler, who uh, finds himself in 1973. And has to kind of you know fit into this this world, which, as he points out, that the social mores and the way people women are treated and, and the, the way people live, it, it's a, effectively a different planet to what we know now. Um, Life on Mars was kind of like the professionals, and I really like the fact that Ashes to Ashes was much more like heart to heart. It took a much more kind of to me, it was much frothier early eighties kind of approach to the same idea. And it's, it's more like Minder. And, really? and yeah, and I, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that it had a slightly different take and it approached it in a different way. And, and the story in the, in the first series became quite moving as it was about um, uh, Alex's relationship with her mother, who she found herself in, in professional contact with. Of course, the mother not knowing that this grown woman is, in fact, her daughter from the future. No How could she not know? <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, series two I was looking forward to. And I've got to say, I think this sucked a bit. Really? Yeah, I was, I was genuinely disappointed after having enjoyed series one so much. Um, particularly also, I mean, uh, Philip Gl- uh, Glenister as Gene Hunt. Gene Hunt's an amazing television creation, an amazing character. Keely Hawes as Alex Drake, I loved. I thought she was great in series one. In this, I just found it really drab. It was like they'd forgotten to write Gene any good lines. They'd forgotten why 82 was kind of the setting. Like, like there was no attempt to bring in... I don't know, it just felt tired. It felt like such a tired show to I, me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, really? <laughs> I, hated, I hated everything I saw of season one. Oh, and that's just, bizarre, because, yeah. And just, well, it had, it had nothing for me at all. And uh, season two, it, you don't need to have seen season one to start watching season two. Well, the, the, they're surprisingly different shows, even down to, uh, I found for series two, the hair, the makeup, the costuming is all so toned down. Like yes. series one went, we're in the 80s. This is, you know, early 80s. Series two, it could be modern day. Like there wasn't, to me, like it just felt so, like they'd really run out of any kind of impetus to have it in the past. I wasn't even sure why it was in the past it, Except, Except you do still get Grange Hill and you do still get Morph. You do get the, uh, a pretty cool, yeah, bit where, where Morph represents uh, the people in the future working on her medically and her begging Morph to keep using the defibrillator. <laughs> it's kind and, of an interesting scene. And also, thankfully, no shots of the David Bowie clown lookalike running Again, towards her. Loved the David Bowie clown from the first series. He was hated a spooky, it. ongoing figure. Hated it, hated it, hated there's, it. There's nothing in this. And it, and it just seems to be that Alex wanders around going, oh, here I am, any two. Oh, my God, a helicopter from the future. Oh, it's gone now. And every time dogs talk to her. And it just seems like no one <laughs> seems to know what's going on. There, there, there's a whole bunch of actually interesting ideas poking around in this series that they don't seem to be bothered much with. The idea that there might be someone else from the future who knows 
that Alex is from the future. Great idea. That there might be multiple people from the future stuck in this past. But the show randomly throws in a weird scene in a medical situation for no reason and then goes back to the plot. It feels like they've written the plots and then shoved in the future bit. Oh, that was... Yeah, because in the opening of uh, of this season, it actually starts in the present mm-hmm. uh, in a hospital, in a hospital. Room with uh, with a, a coma patient uh, and a news item about Alex Drake missing and and there's a search on for her because it, it does appear in the in the, the the current day. It's still the same day as yes. as series. Yeah, like the whole series is taking place in in a year to Alex, but it's all been one it's day. In the, one one in day world. for for us. Uh, and and one of the great things about this series, one of the things that I liked, is that there is actually some mystery that I can that I can hook my uh, teeth into and and but go. To me, it oh, was just the so- roses, the roses, and pretty much anything involving Masons. I'm bang up for. Oh, see, Masons bore me senseless. So when a Mason plot line has turned up, it's like oh. God, now there's Masons. And there's all these bits and pieces and, and like, who, yeah, is Gene corrupt? And then, then yeah, five minutes later, they'll go, oh, no, probably isn't. And it's like you know, storylines that should be, you know, woven across also, the episodes. Like, who, who ever suspected that the Masons' uh, approval process was so slipshod <laughs> that somebody just faking it could get in? <laughs> oh, you, you've got to take off one shoe. <laughs> That's commitment. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, no, I just found that the whole... That was absolutely ridiculous. And the, and the, and the, I, the I'm other really theme, enjoying it. I, I, actually the, watched, I actually watched four episodes of this. The, the other theme I thought was kind of interesting, again, they're not really doing much with, is the idea that, that Alex might be getting so used to being in 1982 that she's kind of forgotten she's from the future. And that, I think, would have been a really powerful idea to start the series with her having no idea she was from the future. But it's like every so often she looks at something and there's a message from the future and she goes, oh, I wonder what that means. See, la, 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 la. I, I still find Alex a, a whiny, annoying, uh, and uh, un, almost unjustly self-righteous character. Well, I, this, this is the other interesting thing I liked in the first series, and this is now a spoiler for Life on Mars, although really, if you're listening to us discussing the sequel to Life on Mars, you deserve what you're getting. The second I, season I, of the sequel to Life on yeah, Mars. Yeah, well, the second I, series. I, is, I, I already did the spoiler to Life on <laughs> okay. Mars in the, when, when we talked about the first series, series of Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars hadn't actually finished in Australia. Okay, I so, still apologise right. for that. But here, less of a spoiler, but spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So at the end of Life on Mars, we know that, that Sam, in fact, has been in a coma the whole time. It's kind of what the show tells us has been going on. It's not really a reveal as such. The twist, I guess, is what Sam chooses to do with that information. Anyway, so the series two starts off... Um, I'm sorry, Ash Dash starts off, of course, with, with Alex Drake um, having been a psychologist who worked with Sam. So she knows he had these delusions of these people and imagines that she's created them for herself. Yes, that she's you know that she's basically recognises these characters, which is actually I thought a really clever way of doing your series too. She can go, oh my god, your Gene Hunt was great. You know, it saves everyone a lot of time. But as the series went on, the implication was maybe maybe something else was happening. Maybe these weren't just illusions. Maybe she was back in time, which you know, was kind of an interesting way to go with it. And it's sort of like yeah, this series they've they've kind of just gone oh no, and it's not that either. You know, so the implication in the, the first series is that Gene Hunt as uh, as a grown man saved her as a child which only makes sense if it really happened. And, yeah, this series, they're going, oh, yeah, or, or none of that. Talking dog. You know, it's just... It's a talking dog! <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it, it was kind of throwaway, and, and yeah, I watched a, a lot of it on airplanes, but because uh, I just find that comforting. <laughs> it's an expensive way to watch television, though. It, I've got to point out, Josh, you could save yourself a lot of money by watching it at home. 
What? <laughs> really? So, uh, you know, I, I was possibly distracted or not paying as much attention to it as uh, as I ordinarily would. But I, I found it quite a lot of fun. Like, I'm quite happy to just have it there as, as mindless entertainment. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not life on Mars. And I think that's the, the problem I had with the first series of Ashes to Ashes, particularly, is that I wanted it to be life on Mars. Because that's what I liked about it, that it said, no, I'm not life on Mars. Like, it had a distinct kind of attempt to, to take more of that 80s kind of, you know, I thought glossy, throwaway kind of cop element, especially in its first few episodes, which I thought was quite brave. This series, I see, I just find it's, yeah, to me it's lost. It just doesn't know what it's doing anyway. Not lost with a capital L. Just a lowercase L. Yeah, to me it's not quite sure what it's for anymore. Gene doesn't seem to have any catchy lines, which annoys me because he's he's usually so good with these little one-liners. See, and what I like about it is that we we can see Gene is actually getting older. Gene is, uh, is becoming a more responsible human. Gene is learning about uh, his place in the world above and beyond just, you know, running down crims and smashing them up against a car. But, but that was in the first series of Ash Dashes, which I really liked, was that because the early 80s, particularly known at a very corrupt time, and there was the uh, the report from, oh, I forgot his name, but there was a big police report that came in and changed things here yeah, because there was a lot of police corruption. And there is a, a scene in the first series where Alex says, you know, you're on, you're a dinosaur, basically. She gets the scene with, with, with Jim, which is kind of funny, when she goes, you're a man of the past, even though she's now a woman... Literally in the past, she's aware that Gene's moment was in the 70s. Life on Mars is, is the time in which Gene thrived. And, I, and maybe also it's that problem that, I think in the early 80s, the early 80s is when everything kind of started to the world that we live in now, the economic rationalism and the, the healthiness of everything and the kind of, you know, a lot more equal rights, whereas the 70s was much more of a foreign time. It's quite shocking to watch Life on Mars to see the casual racism you mm. know, in a way that wasn't really acceptable by the 80s. You know? And so maybe that's also the other problem of having particularly with this 82, they've kind of exploited everything they could do with the 80s beyond going, hey, a Rubik's Cube every episode. And I just find there's not much left for them to do with it. They're a bit, yeah. It's like, why? Why is it 82 now? So uh, so Ashes to Ashes season one, season two, clearly something for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious, uh, this is a, maybe a little bit from left field, each of you, do you prefer... Second series, Ashes to Ashes, or US Life on Mars? I didn't watch enough of US Life on Mars to, to really get a, a feel for it. I, I would probably say second series, Ashes to Ashes, because at least it was something I hadn't kind of seen before. Talking of spoilers, though, can I spoil the American Life on Mars? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, no one cares. I decided to read what happened to the final episode mm-hmm. on the internet. just it, Because cause they're not continuing with it. No, no, because it was, yeah, because episode... Got so they had to type all yeah, the loose so ends. Episode, yes, episode 17. Yeah, yep. yep, episode 17 was the official ending, so spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Oh, hang on. End of episode 17, American Life on Mars, Sam comes... Oh, I just love saying this. It's brilliant. Sam comes out of of sleep to discover he's in a an, a spaceship orbiting Mars, about to land in a in a module lander, and that Gene Hunt is his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I am not making this stuff up. That's how the U.S. version ended, and I say thumbs up to you, Mr. American producer. That's oh, brilliant. That is genius. That is genius. Finish the spell. We, we, we have. We can just say though. I mean, because unexpected yet, kind of. I go with it. You know. I reckon fair enough. And there's a major Tom. His dad's name's Tom. Anyway, that's uh, yeah. That that that's that's your, your, your yeah. spoil. Spoilers done. S- spoilers done. Ashes to ashes. Season two. Clearly. 
not for everyone. Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue à Box Cutters. Good morning everybody and welcome to Box Cutters. This is Toby Sullivan uh, displaying his bilingual prowess on the best TV podcast that uh, I've ever encountered. Now, that is the sound of Norway. Ah, Norway. It sounds, I, I can already taste your herring from next year. It sounds quite umpa and a little bit um, fit on the roof and oddly enough like Cliff Richard from the 60s. That is Alexander Ryback performing the song Fairy Tale, which last night, our time, um, won Eurovision and with 387 points became the highest total score in Eurovision history. And the largest winning margin Oh, uh, yeah. Of uh, 159 points, it, I think. It was quite hilarious to watch Julia Zemira and Sam Pang desperately trying to get some interest out of the voting and trying to convince you that, that uh, coming second is also important because, like with Miss World, if the Eurovision winner can't <laughs> carry on his duties... Then if there's the any one. naked photos yeah. that turn up at any point... Exactly. I've got to yeah. say, too, um, Julia Zemira, Sam Pang, I thought did a great job. Yeah, I they, thought- they did. I, I think... A little too much so, talking. Just a little too much talking. So were they doing the full commentary? In, yeah. in Russia. Yeah, they were over in Russia, which is impressive. The SBS found the money. Well, that's curious, because what I'd heard, reported, mm-hmm. was that they would be bookending it and doing little bits in between, but SBS would be taking the, the English uh, commentary, no, even though it wasn't Terry Wogan. I think that thing, if you're sending them anyway, they might as well just do the whole thing. I, I guess that's what the decision was in the end, because Wogan did drown in his own bile at the end of 2008. I've said never a fan of Wogan. I did find him just xenophobic and mean and bitter, and I was trying to work out... Well, he was so wrong, and that's what people And he was also it. very wrong. But I was trying to work out why I was enjoying Julia and Sam so much, and I realised today, it's because they enjoyed being there. They actually came across like they were glad to be at Eurovision. Yeah, they, they, they were having fun. Yeah, with, they were just doing it as, as a you know, force to do it. Now, I, I have to say, Sam did a great job, but mm. to, to be at Eurovision and not recognise some of the major Eurovision winners of, of past... Really, just uh, kind of a, a lot of Eurovision well, fanatics were going. That, that, How dare he look, even go true. there? Julia and Sam did represent us, I think, more the the, the casual. And I will say that the last year was the first time I kind of got into Eurovision to any degree. And then I watched some documentaries, read some books about it, which is that's what I do. That's how I roll. And so this year, I went out to Glitch in North Fitzroy to watch it with with the public, and um, yeah, had a great time, a great night. I love I love the stupidity and the enormousness of it. Um, Thought it was a great broadcast from from SBS, uh, and I, what I wanted to do today was talk about some of the technology technological advances because curiously enough, Eurovision was set up partly to promote the technical side of television. It was actually at the time quite uh, an achievement. When you say Eurovision, do you mean Eurovision the network or Eurovision Song Contest? Eurovision Song Contest, okay. which is yeah put together by the European Broadcasting Union, I think it's called. It's actually a consortium of of TV stations. And curiously, I discovered um, the Eurovision rules. It's um, to join the the European Broadcasting Consortium. You have to be within a certain longitude and latitude. It's a it's a it's a square box, oh. which is why Israel is allowed to be in, even though it's not part of of Europe. Um, and because I've been trying to work out how we can get Australia into Eurovision for quite a while, and my plan was that we would just have a whip around, join up, send Kylie, win, and then you know quit. I've been told maybe can- maybe if we. Uh, d- Bought a decommissioned uh, oil rig. Well, and set up a yeah, a, or an island. I thought maybe we'd buy an island, call it Australia La La. So it's oh, it's no. similar. 
even to allow us in. The other option too is Morocco ended once in 1980 and never again. So I reckon maybe we just enter as Morocco. <laughs> we'll never know the difference. We'll all know. We could give somebody to Morocco. They'll be fine. We'll go, look, look, Kylie's singing for Morocco. And we'll be there going, Morocco, Morocco, oi, oi, oi. And we can, you know, green and gold Morocco and the kangaroos in Morocco. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so you don't think it's true uh, what Terry Wogan was saying, that uh, the voting had no uh, relevance to the songs they were doing and it was all just political and... and oh, that's, oh, that's they, nonsense. That's an- Absolute nonsense. And they used to annoy the hell out of me because... The other thing, too, that, that Wogan seemed to miss was that, that part of what Eurovision is about is it shows the, the insane cultural distinctions of certain areas. And the problem is that, you know, Nordic countries probably quite like Nordic pop. I don't think that's surprising that, you know, mm-hmm. that Sweden might like the music of the, the, the nation next to them. They probably have similar cultural values. Uh, see, you know? I, don't, I don't know because, you know, Greece and Spain traditionally give lots of points to, uh, to England. To, to the UK, uh, not last year, obviously, yeah. but uh, but uh, they do, and they get a lot of UK tourist yeah. dollar. Uh, there's, no, there is a lot not, that, be, yeah, that can but, be looked into it. But the thing is, it's also more likely that it's because they know the acts, they like the acts. Like when, when Wogan, you know, had his meltdown last year, he was upset that the Russian, you know, had had got so many points. The English entrant had got so little. The Russian entrant was the Russian equivalent of Ricky Martin, who did three platinum albums and extensively toured throughout Europe. The English entrant was someone who was a runner-up in a reality game show not shown outside the UK. Oh, and th- and the the English entrant was terrible that year. I mean, well, it was not, it not was, zero points no, terrible, but, just, but terrible, just ordinary terrible. You know, and so so it was kind of you know this year to, to have. It was curious. I watching with an Australian audience in in a bar that basically no reaction to Norway at all. The Norwegian entrant, which you know won by a huge amount. You know, we didn't think it was bad, but we didn't think it was good. Mm. SBS had its own voting thing, and admittedly, you are allowed to vote every 20 seconds, so it's possibly not too scientific. <laughs> was it phone voting or online? Just an online, online one. But looking at the top 10 this afternoon, it was curious that the Norwegian entrant came at number nine by the Australian standards. Uh, admittedly, one and two were Turkey and Greece. I think they may, and they, they did get sort of yeah, 30,000 votes more than the others. I think there might be a certain, you know, home crowd element there. Well, I'm surprised that there are any Turks or Greeks still watching SBS. <laughs> now, yeah, now that's all. Um, although, curiously, also Ukraine, my personal favourite for the night, Ukraine came in number six on the SBS one, number 12 on the actual vote. Um, the Ukraine entrant, her name was Svetlana, which is you know, great just to begin with, and she performed a song called Be My Valentine, Anti-Crisis Girl. My favourite moment was when Nutty. she was playing the drums while being pulled through fire by half-naked centurions. Which was, I, that was genius. While CGI pistons went off around her. Oh, what a great night. Anyway, um... Back though, I what I also want to mention tonight was the controversies or controversies oh. of uh, of this year. There's always a few. It's a, it is actually a strangely political event. It was invented to bring countries together, promote you know unity. Um, not too long after World War Two, also promoting technology because of course you know television was new when, Josh, it, when it started. Uh, Mr. Eurovision uh, box cutters. What was the number one controversy of last year? Oh, it was the the uh, Eastern Bloc voting. Okay, was the number one controversy. Well, I, can't remember. I, I do remember my thing about Wogan was uh, the year that he claimed that Gemini got no points because of uh, England's stance on the Iraq war, somehow conveniently not noticing that Gemini couldn't sing in tune. Mm. They just mm. sang out of key. Because uh, apparently the UK was too cheap to give them fold back, it turns out, in the book <gasps> Nil Point, which I read. Um, <laughs> oh. Excellent book, Nil Point, uh, which looks at the 14 0 scoring. Eurovision Act since they changed the, the, the voting to make that virtually impossible. If I wanted to buy that, where could I? Uh, I imagine if you went to the You Do Buy It store on the uh, Box Cutters website, you'd probably be able to purchase that. 
through us. From Amazon. Amazon. Is yeah. that spelt uh, P-W-A-H-N? Uh, I think it's N-U-L-P, and then like points, but yeah, perhaps null uh. point. But anyway, this year's four big controversies according to Wikipedia, because I came in to tell you about the two of them, and then yeah. there were two more I didn't know. Um, now, my favorite, we don't want to put in... Now, this was the entry, uh, entry for Georgia, chosen by the Georgian people to represent them in Eurovision, performed by Stefan and 3G. Uh, it actually got rejected by the European Broadcasting Union uh, for breaking the Eurovision rules. Not just because it's bad disco, which is actually acceptable and encouraged, <laughs> but because uh, under Section 4, Rule 9 of the rules... Um, it couldn't. It, it didn't comply because no lyrics, speeches, gestures of a political nature or similar nature shall be permitted during the Eurovision Song Contest. Now let's have a, a little bit of a listen to Stefan and 3G. Now nothing terribly political so far, we would think. So I think we need to get to the chorus before it becomes apparent and there is another verse. <laughs> But the synth drums will help us along. I didn't realise the Scissor Sisters were, uh, were going in for Georgia. Oh, the Scissor Sisters performed, I think, last year for Bosnia. They were great. Here we go. That's uh, more disco than Scissor Sisters. So here we go. We don't want to Putin. Oh, I get it now. We don't want to put in. Yeah. We don't want to Putin. We don't want to Putin. Yeah. So Georgia cleverly trying through the through the political nature of disco to um, have a go at the Russian leader. So Putin. it is a little bit like uh, if you seek Amy. If you seek Amy, yeah, it, it effectively. And at first, Georgia did try to pretend that, that it wasn't that, and then had to admit, yeah, it was. So, um, but it, but as protest, Georgia did not substitute another song, which they were they were told they could do. They said, right. no, if we can't make fun of Putin through disco, we're not going. Or uh, let the European Broadcasting Union rewrites the song lyrics. That was, <laughs> that was the other well. option. Okay, yeah. that'd be interesting. Now, it's a nice um, bit of a swinging disco beat, though. It's not bad, actually. The other one, that, that, and this is actually a little close to my heart, um, uh, Moscow Pride um, was going to be held on the same day as the final. Um, Sound like Moscow Gay Pride. Moscow Gay Pride, uh, having a gay march. Every time they do try this in Moscow, they basically get beaten up by the police. And this year was no exception. They were hoping to use Eurovision to kind of you know, promote pride. Um, Sweden's representative supported the cause and said that, um, that it was sad the Moscow government would not allow a tribute to love. Um, the Dutch entrants said that they would, um, if, if you know, the pride wasn't allowed, they would, they would boycott the event. Well, in the end, I think they didn't actually make it through the semifinals anyway. Um, the mayor of Moscow has said homosexuality is satanic in the past. You, can, um, you can't get a... a uh, you can't get a, per- a permit to have a gay pride march in Moscow. You can get a permit to have a Nazi, uh, a neo-Nazi march. That's acceptable, curiously enough. And in the past, right. near, neo-Nazis have beaten up gay men on a pride march while the police watched. When they were done, the police would then arrest the gay marchers. Uh, so, a bit of love there from Russia. So, 40 people were arrested on the attempt to do a gay pride parade. Apparently, they were outnumbered by the police, sort of three to one. On the same day... That's a special... Uh, Backwards homo police. Yeah, but, uh, yes, there was a, the front quite page of the astonishing today. picture in the ancient day of a drag queen being being loaded into a truck by a homo policeman, uh, and yeah, and that was basically at the same time the gayest event in the world because let's face it, Eurovision is like yeah the gay grand final. Uh, this was happening out the front. The two other though controversies that were big, um, Spain actually delayed deliberately delayed one of the semi finals 
uh, it's, it's screening. I didn't get why this was important, except, of course, that you vote. You vote for the countries that go through. And Spain deliberately um, delayed the one that included Portugal and Andorra, two nations that Spain has the most culturally in common with and would and be most likely to benefit from a Spanish vote. El Mundo has speculated that this was deliberately done to make sure that Spain lost. That they were trying to make, they were trying to anger the people most likely to vote for Spain, so that they would score less and wouldn't have the expense of holding Eurovision. And because <laughs> because that is that is often a, a, a problem. A lot of uh, a lot of France traditionally puts in dumb entries because they don't want to host. Well, there, there is also that thing. Um, uh, Father Ted did a whole episode back. Um, if you remember when Ireland kept winning for a while, there's a fantastic episode of Father Ted where Fa- uh, Father Ted and, and uh, Dougal get asked to, to enter basically to, jacket. to guarantee that, that Ireland won't win any, uh, anymore. And they enter with a song called My Lovely Horse, <laughs> uh, which is written by the Divine Comedy. It's a fabulous song. Okay, number four, my favourite one. Armenia, Azerbaijan. Oh, Armenian Azerbaijan, and it's hair related. Now, did you watch Eurovision? Did you boys just did I, you watch I, it last night? I completely missed it. Now, each each um, each country was introduced naturally through the medium of supermodels' hair. Yes, yes, it was it was nutty. <laughs> huh? It was <laughs> explain. I, okay, so so you would start with a, a, a supermodel, uh, kind of smiling at you. And then it would go into this horrible Sachi and Sachi kind of Nokia ad sequence of things to do with that particular country, and then finish with the uh, w- with the model now wearing Carmen Miranda style, so cardboard cutout buildings and things and things that represented that country. Ah. Also, each country represented also through breakdancing, apparently a universal constant. Um, but yeah, so you, you don't have the shot. And all, same super, she's actually a supermodel, Russian super, she came second in Miss World or something. And um, she would be representing the, the country both facially as well. She'd be going, uh, I am now Armenia, you know, as well as the hair and the buildings. It was just amazing. Anyway, I, I said that nuance passed me by. <laughs> oh, no, no she, she was good. She was doing it. Anyway, so when she was portraying Armenia through her hair, her hair included... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Just reading this out is nuts. Amongst other monuments, the We Are Our Mountains, which is a statue located in Stepanakert uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh, which was built in Soviet times to represent the area's Armenian heritage. It's now in a disputed region between Azerbaijan and Armenia. So both of them claim they should have had that in their own hair. Like, it shouldn't have just been Armenia's hair. It should have been Azerbaijan's hair. To make it worse, when Armenia was giving their votes... And we know, of course, the winner tonight was really music. When they were giving their votes, the presenter, Sirushu, held up a folder with the monument's picture on it several times as she read off the votes, and a screen behind them in the capital's main square could also clearly be seen to be displaying the disputed monument. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. As angry, anger was going over between these two countries that no one else could even notice. And I love the idea of the clipboard going, yeah, it's our, our monument. Yeah, not, not yours. Yeah. And apparently when... Um, uh, various people in Twitter said that viewers in Azerbaijan actually couldn't even see the number to vote for Armenia. Apparently it had been blurred out of the, <laughs> of, of the broadcast. Um, and also, they just say that despite the controversies and tensions between the two nations, however, Armenia still awarded Azerbaijan a point. Un point. Un point. Thank you, your votes, please. 
Ah, Eurovision. Well, we, it was we, it was a great night though, wasn't it? It, great? it was it was a great night. I I really liked France's entry. I thought that was great. Oh, France was actually fantastic. Uh, really good. Probably um, a little bit too good for Eurovision. Albania will terrify me to my death. That was the uh, the, the the tiny girl and and the spooky Gumby man while two midgets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was bizarre. <laughs> that was like David Lynch territory. And Russia entered the most Russian song you can imagine. A woman singing a very sad song while enormous pictures of her face around her, 1984 style, the book, not the year, kind of looked down as the faces aged and cried. <laughs> yeah, Russia clearly not wanting to host another no, year. Saying one was enough, thank you. Fashion themes, I boiled down to uh, toilet roll dollies. That was the kind of dress look. Bridesmaids, 1973 air hostesses, glowing white dresses, shiny. And special points for Spain, who came as Mystique from X-Men, caught halfway between a human and mutant form. I have to say, a, a very disappointing lack of reveals in, uh, in, in, in that episode of, of Eurovision. The reveal being uh, something that Bucks Fizz uh, started oh, with, yeah. wait, uh, wearing a long skirt. Oh, look, it's a short skirt. Although Spain did include a magic act where their, their singer disappeared. And yes. reappeared, and the and the first uh, and the first act of the night, uh, he did have that very bad magical flame coming out of his palm. <laughs> he did, and and Greece, uh, Gre- the Greek so the- song written by some Australians, bless him, uh, he did have a, a travelator on yes. stage, which turned into a giant stapler. <laughs> oh, I wish I could go back in time and do it all again. It was great. <laughs> see, see, you, you saw it as as a stapler. I saw it as the Greek flag getting erect. <laughs> that's actually more Greek, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's Eurovision. Uh, we'll cover it again next year, no doubt. We're running so late. Quickly, one thing. If you're going to watch one thing this week, what would you watch, Brett Cropley? Uh, Lost. <laughs> actually, he's allowed to say lost. He is allowed to say yeah. lost. But uh, channels, take that, Shane. And, and I just wanted—I I did look through repeatedly through uh, this week's TV guide, and I was really scratching for something novel and uh, kind of one-offish that I should mention. But Channel Seven have dumped it in the eleven o'clock Wednesday slot. Yeah, they—they—they're um, just abusing it. Have people dropped off, or is every? Has everybody lost interest now that people now that they're getting answers on Lost? No, I think it's that people who or are seven just idiots. People who are really into Lost can't wait the week for Lost to uh, to well, to if, come onto if air. If you do, there's no telling where you're going to bump into spoilers. Into, into spoilers, exactly. <laughs> so there is that problem. Uh, so I think that you know they really are the victims of downloading in in that respect. Uh, victims of the internet, uh, but but also uh, they also think much like Buffy and and Angel. The lost audience is a core kind of. Uh, They'll follow the show. They, they will just follow yeah. the show, and they're just completely open to be abused. Yeah, yeah. I think that is that is yeah. good stuff. Ass hats, John. Um, I would be in America. And on my American television, I would watch, I think it's episode two or possibly three now, of Snake and Bacon. Oh. Snake and Bacon is a, uh, it's around 10 minutes long. It's the first episode I watched was. It's part animated. It's part live action. It's all weird. It's got Kristen Schaal in it. And she's one she's of the most normal elements. Um, it's on, uh, I think it's, it's Adult Swim, which is part of the Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network. And basically, it's based on a cartoon book. Snake and Bacon um, are two celebrities who do various things. And people go things like, hey, Snake and Bacon, you want to see what a crime scene's like? And Snake will go, Sss. And Bacon will go, crumble me in a salad. 
crumble me in a salad bacon. <laughs> that that's pretty much the tone. Um, uh, Peter Serafinovitz uh, did a did some of the voices last week. Uh, one of which was a floating head that was going to destroy the world, but in the meantime had to had to deliver sandwiches with his powers. Uh, my, my pick is Louis Theroux, uh, who is a, a fan of this show. Oh no, wait, we're fans of him. Uh, Much the same thing. Louis Theroux has a, a new uh, a new kind of doco, uh, if, a, a Theroux doco, called Louis Theroux on the Streets of Philadelphia. That's going to be on Channel Seven on Monday night at ten thirty, Monday so the twenty fifth. It's basically him uh, redoing Charlie Brooker's. God damn it! I love The Wire. You should watch it. Sure, why not? Okay, question three. Which yeah, canal? All these going to be about war. No, I got loads of. I got one on tennis. One on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Last week's quiz answer was the All Saints theme. We don't even have time to play it. No. It was the All Saints theme. Just imagine you're having sex in the 80s through some, you know, curtains. Yeah. That's that, pretty much what it sounded like. Which is, which is exactly, like something that would be on All Saints. Though. Which is exactly why one listener thought it was Chances. But people take Chances all through their lives. There were lyrics on Chances. Yeah. Uh, and also we should mention we played it because it was also written by the same people who wrote the Beyond 2000 theme. And we had, in fact, just mentioned it like 30 seconds before we played it. Yes. Yeah, we're tricky. We're tricky. So, uh, Paddy, you will be winning a Thirsty Owl. You it's can coming. see it on the it's, video no, podcast. No, you can't, can't see it on the video podcast. <laughs> There's no time. John, can you get that close to the camera for me? There Just so is, I can see it. There's no video podcast and there's no That's time the, uh, for me XL to even SDL. refute the video <laughs> podcast. This week's prize is a hooja from Crumpler. From Crumpler. From Crumpler. It's a small hooja. And the question is, John Richards? Is Bud Tingle related? Is film. But if you're a Bud, if you were watching yes, a film. He is. Yes. is that the answer? Oh, yes, he is. If you were watching a film, if it was an AFI Best Film winner, it might have Bud Tingle in it playing a judge. Please name two AFI Best Film winners which feature Bud Tingle playing a judge. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. I should have said as well that uh, you can send your entries to hooray at boxcutters.net. Do we mention that at the end? No, 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 not really for the quiz. Okay. Hooray at boxcutters.net by 4pm next Monday, the 25th of May. Talking of those hats at Channel 7, Boston Legal's uh, probably right now just about to launch into its final episode on Channel 7, Monday night. Um, not in every state. They have it uh, as a one-hour screening. The last episode of Boston Legal was a two-hour special. Um, I'm not sure what they've done with that. As far as They're I know, they didn't play the, 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 the first oh. half of it uh, two weeks ago because there was nothing on last week. Um, also, Channel 10 have shunted Life on Mars Ep 16 this week to Friday nights uh, late. <laughs> I might tune in for 17, though, because it sounds good. That'll coming be up, next week. Coming up, st- coming up still in the show, uh, John, you mentioned the Stars Network last week have a very entertaining uh uh, I, I, I can't, a continue, continuity announcer, can I call yeah, that? Yeah, sure. I, I've probably built her up too much now, but I, I brought in the clip because I did want you to hear her. And I should, also should mention, we talked about Party Down last week, which is when I mentioned hearing her voice over the end of it. You can watch episode one of Party Down totally legally on YouTube. Stars have put it up, the whole episode is one 29-minute file oh. that you can watch I'll, uh, I'll, at I'll, work. 
Who I'll are these people? They use Zeds willy-nilly. I and know. They, they, they whack their programming up for like, free. It's crazy. God, they'll be popular soon. So after the credits, you'll be able to hear the lovely lady from Stars. That brings us to the end of Boxcutters episode 182. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Joe Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Boxcutters. Catch us again next week. Same bet time, same bet channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Boxcutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. Crumpler provide us with our giveaways and you can learn more about their bags, wallets and pouches at crumpler.com.au. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find box cutters and then they can enjoy it too. Help support box cutters by wearing one of our wonderful t-shirts available at redbubble.com slash people slash box cutters. You can also now buy the DVDs and books we talk about at the You Do Buy It US and UK stores. Just follow the links on the blog and let the entertainment come to you. You can help make each episode last all week long by leaving comments on the blog at boxcutters.net. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net through the Talk To Us link on the blog or via SMS on 0458 837 That's 0458 Cutter. See an all-new episode of the Stars Original Series Party Down next Friday at 10.30 right after Headcase on Stars, And you can see Party Down anytime on Stars On Demand. Stars on the van. Stars on the van. You can hear the Z. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's can... that's good. But uh, but but it is it is also like they they did get an extra from uh, from <laughs> Wizard of Oz to come in. Oh, and... I, I was thinking it's more Fran Drescher on Hard Times. Oh, nice, nice. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters. <laughs>